and welcome to Inside Redemption. My name is Luke Simmons. I'm one of the pastors in Redemption Church, Arizona, specifically at the Redemption Gateway Congregation. And this is a podcast that's really designed to just help you take inside, uh, take you inside the inner workings of Redemption Church. Uh, we assume that there are people, mostly who are part of Redemption Church, who are just kind of intrigued at how this whole thing works. It's a little bit unique, just in the fact of uh, one church, multiple congregations spread out in lots of different places. And there's just a lot of questions that we get from people inside the church and sometimes outside the church about how it all works. And so uh, this is a conversation to try to push into that. We've had other conversations in the past that have been both video and audio. This one is just audio. And we're going to have um, a mixture of conversations with groups of people as well as individuals who have a key role in Redemption Church. And so today we're going to have a conversation with uh, one of my favorite people, Neil Pitchell. Neil, how are you? I'm fine, Luke. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the podcast. How do you feel about being the first extended form audio guest? What a thrill, huh? It's a thrill. Um, just one of the benefits <laughs> of being the oldest guy around. Yeah, that's great. Sometimes I say here at Gateway, you know, I'm not the smartest. I was just here first. <laughs> and uh, I bet there's times you feel like that where it's like, I've, I've just been around a long time. Indeed. So what we want to do in this conversation is just kind of hear your story. Um, I love your testimony. I love the story of how you... Um, came to faith in Christ. And I think it's a really interesting story of how you got into full-time ministry. So we'll kind of start there. I want to sure. give people that. And then we want to get kind of inside some interesting details about what's it like to operationally run a church and what are some of the financial things that happen. And we get lots of questions about people who are curious about this multi-congregational thing. And so we'll get into some of that as well. But let's start just with your story. So uh, tell us uh, where are you from? What was your childhood growing up? And uh, what was kind of your faith life early on? Yeah. So I'm uh, originally from uh, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, born and raised in, in Boston and moved out to the suburbs in 1958 as a four-year-old. You used to have more of an accent, I've heard. I did. I did. And uh, my wife, who's been here with me for 31 years, still has a perfect Boston accent. <laughs> when we go back to Boston uh, and then we come back home, I have to translate for her for a good week or two before okay. people can again respond to her. Uh, but I was raised Jewish uh, in a Reformed Jewish uh, family, and Reform in Judaism is opposite of Reform in Christianity. Reform is the most liberal, uh, least uh, religious group within Judaism. It's probably uh, more secular than it is religious. But uh, yeah, I, I remember going to bar and bat mitzvahs when I was a kid. I had a lot of Jewish friends, and I always liked the Reformed bar mitzvahs because yeah, they, they were, the were short <laughs> they were in english and they were short and on to the party yeah exactly well i i uh, was a bar mitzvah uh at the age of 13 as all young men and women are these days uh, but at that point i vowed uh never to go back to the temple again i uh i felt that's probably not the goal yeah. of the bar mitzvah yeah. process i really felt persecuted um as as a young jewish mm. person in a mostly Catholic community. Uh, I had to go to Hebrew school every day after elementary school. Uh, and then bar mitzvah lessons on Saturday, Sunday school on Sunday. So I said, enough is enough. Uh, yeah. That one year of that was, was plenty. Uh, was that a problem at all for your family? Uh, no, no. They wanted to get me through that bar mitzvah thing and then they could wash their hands of okay. their responsibility. So everybody was kind of checking yeah, the box. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I uh, spent the rest of uh, high school and uh, uh, just my my teenage years really not thinking about God or interested in any kind of religious activity. Um, went to the University of Massachusetts in Amherst, um, 
as a freshman, first time away from home, uh, which was kind of a, a good thing for me. My, my parents divorced when I was 12, so it wasn't a, the greatest of home lives. So it was nice to get away and uh, ended up rooming with a, a Catholic guy from Connecticut. And okay. uh, uh, the two of us got along very well. And one night I was uh, sitting in my dorm room uh, studying, uh, and uh, these two guys walked into my room who I, I didn't know who they were, didn't never seen them before. Uh, and they looked at the wall in the dorm, and I had a poster that said, I believe in God even when he is silent. Hmm. Um, and it, it, it meant nothing to me. It's just a cool poster. I mean, there was that a was picture. Your, that was your poster? Yeah, yeah. Oh. And, and it, it, What was the picture of? A sunrise, you know, it was like very, you know, 1972-ish. Huh. Um, Do you have any idea, like, where you got that poster? Not at all. I don't oh. know. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. Um, and it's like the only decoration I had in the entire dorm room. Huh. And the first thing they did is when they walked in the room, they looked at it and they said, do you really believe in God? And I said, well, yeah, kind of. I said, uh, when my grandfather was sick, I prayed that, you know, maybe he'd get better. And he didn't. Uh, and he said, do you believe you could have a personal relationship with God? And I said, absolutely not. Mm. Um, as a Jew, um, we are so separate uh, from God. Uh, we have to wear a, a yarmulke when we're in synagogue because we can't be in direct connection with God, there has to be a covering over us because he's so holy and obviously we're not. Uh, we couldn't write the word God in Hebrew school. It was G right. space D. Yeah. So you're saying like, you can have a personal relationship with God? I said, no. You can't even write his name. How am right. I going to have right. a relationship How with can him? I have a relationship yeah. with him? Yeah. So he said, we, we'd, we'd love to tell you how you could have a relationship. Uh, and I didn't really feel like studying anymore. So I thought, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll listen. <laughs> wonder how many people have been led to Christ because they just didn't want to study anymore. <laughs> well, I'm at least one. Um, so they, they began to explain to me um, this idea of Jesus and, and who he was and what this gospel story was. And just as they began to, to start, my roommate walked in who didn't really feel like studying either. So he sat to listen as well. Now, he was Catholic. Um, and they they shared this story, and I it went completely over my head. I and these and these were guys that just like randomly knocked on the door, or yes. did you know them? Never saw them before in my life. So it was just like knock knock. Yeah. can we talk to you? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Turned okay. out they were from the Navigators, okay. uh, which I didn't know what that was. Um, didn't know any. I had no exposure to Christianity whatsoever. Uh, did you have any kind of? Do you recall what your kind of view of Jesus was? Uh, swear word. Okay. Yeah. Um, did, I mean, I didn't even know that Christians believed that, that he was God. Okay. Um, uh, so you weren't even really starting with a negative exactly, view. Exactly. Just a little bit of a blank slate yeah. as it came to Jesus. Yeah. In fact, my very, my only exposure to Christianity really at all was I was invited to a, a friend's house, uh, in the eighth grade, uh, for a Christmas dinner and they, it was a beautiful day I and mean, it was so wonderful. It was soon after my parents had divorced and my my house was a mess, uh, and they even had they even had a gift for me under the Christmas tree. And I remember walking home from the uh, from there, thinking, "Hmm, this Christianity thing really isn't half bad." Mm. Um, but again, that was that was it. Uh, well, as they shared the story of of Jesus, and I remember very little of the details, other than this doesn't make sense to me. My roommate 
was overwhelmed with the story. Mm. And at that moment said, what do I need to do? Wow. And he said, well, we need to pray. You need to pray to receive Christ. And uh, I'm, lo- I'm kind of looking like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? <laughs> so he gets down on his knees. They lean over him, put their hands on him, and they pray. And he responds afterwards. And then they hug. And, and I, I was very freaked out mm. um, to the point where um, his life really started to change. Um, and didn't want to have fun anymore as far as I was concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did the only thing I could think of. I, I moved out, um, huh. moved in with another guy, um, who I'd met during the semester and, uh, about halfway through that semester, um, he got saved, um, By, through the same, same guys? guys, these same guys, guys. These guys are following you around, same guys. Wow. So my de- next decision was to move into a fraternity now, where I knew I'd be safe from all that. Okay, so so in between that, yeah. are you seeing these two guys around? Yes, yes. Are you kind of yeah. getting to know them? Or no. is it like, oh my goodness, Absol- these guys showed up again? Absolutely trying to avoid them at all costs. Okay. But after the second guy uh, became a Christian, um, I thought, wow, th- this is interesting. What what What's happening? Um, so I... I actually went to a meet. They invited me to a Bible study or something, and I, <clears throat> I went. And uh, again, it meant nothing to me. I, they were nice guys, and um, and they continued to invite me uh, to different things. And I would, um, I'd say, yeah, sure, I'm, I'll, I'll be there. And then I wouldn't show up. Okay. Um, I mean, I was just a, just rotten. And you know what? They were so kind, and they were so forgiving. And they kept inviting me. And I thought, <laughs> how do I get rid of these guys? They're probably going, we, we get this a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. But for me, it was like I had never met people like this. Mm. Um, I, went, I went home um, that, that summer, and a very dear friend of mine who, um, from high school who had gone to Boston College was actually playing football at Boston College. Um, we played high school football together and he was very good and I was very bad. (laughs) And, um, he played offensive tackle. I played cornerback and there were times where, uh, the play would go to the other side and he'd come over and knock me down anyway. (laughs) What a friend. Yeah. And I said, I said, Brian, why are you doing this to me? He said, said, I'm trying to make you tough. (laughs) I said, it's just not going to work. Uh, but, uh, but he went to Boston College and got saved through wow. uh, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Mm-hmm. And he started to share Christ with me. I'm like, gosh, this is, this is unbelievable. Um, what, what's happening all around me? <clears throat> but I continued to resist it. I felt, how could they be right? How could this possibly be true? How could my, my grandparents, who I had great respect for, how could all of the Jewish people throughout history have missed this? It just, it just can't be. But they, you know, they continued for, for literally for years, my, almost my entire career uh, in college. They continued to invite me and pursue me. And, and f- so finally I said, okay, I'll, I'll read the New Testament. Okay. Um, so they handed me a, uh, I think it was a, a Gospel of John. And they said, just, just go ahead and read that. So I did. I did. And I thought, Wow. There's really, this is amazing. Um, this Jesus is, is really quite a guy. 
Now, for Jews, we, we have the big three, right? <laughs> Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yep. Avraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. Um, I came to the conclusion that I was going to have a big four. <laughs> do, do people call it the big three, or that's just... That was just me. Kind of you call it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, I mean, they, they yeah. think of it that way. Yeah, sure. You know. Uh, so, so you thought I'll add Jesus to the I'll Mount Rushmore of, uh, you know, wonderful Jews. Well said. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that's the best of both both worlds. Well, it it, it really kind of turned out to be a very difficult time. I felt um, like I was I was torn in, in different directions, mm. but I continued to resist it. Continued to believe that I could have both. Um, just take the best of both and make myself into the best person I could be. Because um, at that point, you're you're mostly culturally Jewish. Yes. You're not 100%. attending synagogue. No, not at all. But not there is bit. just that, yeah. hey, there, there is a big barrier to overcome. Exactly. You know, I mean, the cultural pressure there and just yep. all this yep. history is, is, it's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Family um, and, and history, everything like that. Um, so my, my friend Brian, the, the football player, um, he said to me, he was very, very frustrated. Um, and that was not a good thing for me to have Brian frustrated <laughs> with me. And he said to me, Neil, someday I, I believe that God is going to put you on your back and, and you're going to have to look up. Oh, wow. And I, oh, I don't was I, he planning on being the I, delivery I, system well, for you yeah, getting on I've, your back? I figured again. it was appropriate because <laughs> he was very used to doing that. Right. Uh, well, uh, continued I graduated from college, continued to struggle, met Kate, my wife, who was um, raised Catholic, who was kind of struggling with Catholicism and the works orientation and just the whole thing. So together we, we began this process of, of trying to discover what really was, what does it mean to, to have a relationship with God? Um, we got married in August of 1977. In October of 1977, I ruptured a disc in my back. It was it was so severe, I I could not move. I could not get out of bed. Um, I mean, she had to help me. Um, it was it was just brutal. Um, and while I was um, kind of crippled and, and waiting for surgery. Um, one of Brian's friends, who he introduced me to, brought me a book called *Mere Christianity* um, by C.S. Lewis. And I, literally, I couldn't—I couldn't even watch TV because I couldn't lift my head up um, to see the screen. So you're like l- literally flat on your back. Flat on my back. Yep. So I start to read the book, and in the very first chapter, uh, C.S. Lewis says, "I want to talk to those of you who believe that Jesus is a great man." Um, a prophet, and I thought, okay, he's talking to me. That's I'm 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 there. He he's great. Yep. Um, and they said, I want you to know you have a problem. He said, and the problem is that Jesus says he's God. And I had remembered enough about the Gospel of John that yeah, he did say that. Hmm. And uh, he said, well, anyone who says they're God, there are only three options. Um, one is uh, they're a lunatic. They believe that they're <laughs> God, and they're really not. The second is that they're a liar, that they know they're not God, but they want to convince you that they are. Or third is that they are who they said they are. The option of being a great man is just gone. Wow. And that absolutely overwhelmed me. Hmm. It was, 
I, I can I, I still get chills as, as I think about that that sense. And it, it must have been that at that moment the Holy Spirit entered my heart and revealed the truth to me because I said, I can remember still saying this, and this was a long time ago. Um, God, I don't understand how the Jews throughout history have missed this, but I know I have seen your impact on the lives of these people who have been so good to me that you can't be a lunatic, you can't be a liar, so you must be who you say you are. Lord, please help me to see that, help me to understand that. And I, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I, I have to get on my knees because the only person I'd ever seen yeah, got saved. Right. Yeah. You know, can I, is this okay? I can't get off the couch. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, mm. I was all by myself. Kate uh, was sleeping because she was working nights and it was brand, as a brand new RN. And uh, I just, I just asked, prayed that prayer. And all of a sudden, the word of God wow. became alive. And I began the process of, pursuing Jesus because I was so grateful that he had pursued me. Wow. So as you look back, how much of your coming to Christ was processing through the kind of arguments of stuff and how much of it was the, the lives and the love of the people around you that knew Christ? Well, it, good question. The, the arguments were, were what kept me from, uh, I think, seeing the truth the lives of the people around me was what allowed me to see the truth. Hmm. Um, and it, it, it just had to be true when, when, when I was able to finally see that. Um, yeah, it yeah. was, it was uh, just a, a surprising. Uh, literally five years from the moment I, those guys walked into my room until God changed my heart. Hmm. Um, and one of the guys uh, is still... He's, uh, he may be retiring this year, but he's still with Navigators. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I just love that story. I, I love it from so many different angles, but um, I think it's just any any story of how someone comes to Christ is is cool. But I think I think just hearing your story and knowing that the love of those people, plus the truth of the arguments, plus the patience over time, you know, yeah. um, it's really incredible. So Yeah, it's allowed me to... Um, to encourage people who have been talking to, praying for uh, family or friends that have resisted to say, keep at it. Yeah. Keep at it. Don't give up. Yeah. So um, let's kind of move from there, kind of the bridge into the, the back half of the conversation on kind of the running administratively a church. Uh, you know, the bridge to there is kind of your story of how you got into ministry. Yeah. So you didn't, uh, you know, have this moment flat on your back and go, aha, I must be a pastor. <laughs> uh, you were t headed in a totally different direction. Yes. You're uh, at that point were you already kind of working in finance and uh, management and that sort of thing. Uh, right after I finally recovered uh, from, from surgery, uh, I went, actually went into banking first okay. and then um, into a small uh, industrial supply company where I started in sales, not very successfully, uh, and ended up moving into the f finance and, and administrative end of the company. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was going, that was my direction. That was kind of my, my, uh, I felt like it was kind of my, my wheelhouse was just money and management and, uh, finances. Um, but the very interesting thing was I, I had this kind of sense, like, I wonder if I, 
should pursue um, some type of ministry. That went away very quickly because um, <laughs> I realized I, I don't like to stand up in front of people and talk, so that I'm not going to be a preacher. Uh, I can't sing at all. I am completely tone deaf, so I can't lead worship. I'm not very good with kids, so <laughs> that's not going to happen. Your your options are... Strike one, yeah. strike two, strike three. Well, especially uh, you you were probably in smaller churches small in church. the Northeast. It's not like you were yeah. part of big church staffs. That, it was like, no, if you no couldn't idea. do one of those three things, there just really wasn't much of a spot that, That's you. right. If I was going to uh, serve, I was going to be a greeter or an usher. You yeah. know, that was my... That was my uh, extent of my abilities but there was there was, there was some something there well I, I i was working for uh the small industrial supply company after my my mother uh remarried she and her husband and my two younger brothers moved to, to phoenix in 1973 um i was a f- freshman in college sophomore in college and i had no desire to i didn't even know where arizona was <laughs> if you had asked me to point it out on the map i, I, I would have been close probably but wouldn't have gotten it um, so there was no way I was, I was going to go. Um, but it was a great place to vacation. Um, during the winter time, I, we'd, I'd come out and spend a, a week or so during uh, winter break. And, and then after we got married, it was a, it was an inexpensive vacation for Kate and me. Well, um, when we would come out, we would try to find a, a, a church to attend. Um, and we'd, we'd, jumped around to diff- different places and never really found anything that we, I mean, we didn't really know what we were looking for. Um, but interestingly, my the company that I was working for ended up in uh, having real financial difficulties. I was the financial manager. <laughs> um, but uh, the economy was, was very, very rough uh, at that point. And um, I had an opportunity to come to work for a, uh, a brand new concept here in Arizona. It was called Series Market and Eatery. Mm. It was a combination of a, a grocery store, restaurant, ice cream shop, deli. I mean, it had all this. It was, and I was hired as the uh, financial ma- manager for the company. So we moved. Kate and I sold our house um, in in. Boston moved to, to Phoenix and went to work there. I found that there was a friend of mine who um, had moved here to Phoenix, was working as a teacher at Mesa High School, and said, hey, we play basketball at this church on Saturday mornings called Bethany Community Church, and um, it's it's really good hoop. I mean, these guys can play, and um, this guy was a very good athlete. He was actually one of the assistant coaches, football coaches at Mesa. Uh, invited me to come, and I went, and and gosh, they prayed before we played. I thought, wow, hmm. this is cool. Um, so I said, okay, let's try this church. And so Kate and I went, and we loved it. We couldn't believe it. We'd never seen a church like that come, coming yeah. from the Northeast. Um, <clears throat> so we, we started to attend. Well, unfortunately, uh, again, talking now, strike two, uh, this company uh, – had tremendous financial difficulties, and I was the financial manager. Uh, now, you keep saying I was the financial manager. <laughs> this wasn't your fault that these companies were having financial trouble, or was it? Uh, I'm sure I had some uh, uh, responsibility in all of that. But it wasn't like no, you were like no. blowing it and no, tanking no, these no, companies. No, no, okay. no, no. I just, I, <laughs> just was, don't want to get the uh, wrong uh, impression yeah. here. Yeah, I know. I just couldn't seem to get uh, get things uh, uh, going in the right direction. Uh, 
so we moved, we, the company was clearly not going to make it. The company that I'd worked for back in, in Massachusetts asked me to come back. So after a year, we, we left Phoenix, moved back to Boston. I went back to my old company and, um, I got the newsletter from Bethany, uh, about two weeks after we got back. Now to all the, all the kids listening. Yeah. What's a newsletter? <laughs> this is a thing this is a print that they thing. email to you, right? Um, no, not quite. No, it was actually mailed to me. And we, so we continued to stay in contact with thanks to that newsletter. Now, now also what's mail? Just kidding. <laughs> this was 1988. Okay. Um, and, uh, so we went, went to work and, and found, as I got back there, I found that the company, although had survived while I was gone, had really come to a place where they weren't going to make it. Um, well, the last newsletter I received from Bethany, um, actually said they were looking to hire a financial administrator. I thought, mm-hmm. a financial administrator at a church? I, I, what, it's amazing. So I called, and I asked them to uh, send me the job description and any information. Job description came, uh, Kate was home the, uh, while I was at work, and she opened it up and read it, and she called me, and she said, oh, my gosh, this is, this is your job. This is everything that you do. You would be perfect at this. So I filled out the application. Did you know the people who were hiring? No. Because you'd attended there for a little while. Six months, yeah. But you weren't on their radar. Oh, gosh, no. Okay. Um, uh, I knew who the executive pastor was just because he was, you know, part of the leadership of the church. But So they mail you an application. Yeah. You get it. Yeah. You fill it out. out. You mail mail it back. back. (laughs) <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I guess I'm giving my age. Uh, no, I just, I think like, it's funny. All this stuff happens so instantaneously now. Yeah. I, yeah. You realize like, this yeah. is quite a process and it gets, it gets more yeah, detailed. It, it so go ahead. Long, it gets longer. Yeah. Um, so uh, they actually advertised for the position in Christianity today. Um, they had uh, over a hundred applicants. Um, and wow. There was absolutely nothing about my resume or my um, application. There was no brilliance or spectacular spiritual revelation that would have caused them to say, hmm, let's pull this guy out from amongst all of these applications. And I was 2,700 miles away. (laughs) Um, But remarkably, my youngest brother was getting married in February of that year. Uh, as they were going through this process. So I called the executive pastor and said, uh, and this is something I would never have done. Mm. Um, but I called and said, hey, um, you know, I filled out an application. He said, yeah, I think I remember. Uh, I said, I'm actually coming to Phoenix in a couple of weeks. Uh, it, would it be possible for me to get an interview? Mm. And uh he said, well, let me, let me go back and look at your application, talk to the committee, and I'll get back to you. And he called me back and said, yeah, if you're going to be here, we'll, we'll meet you. Wow. So I, I had the interview. I was the very first one to be interviewed. They hadn't even started the interview process uh, yet. I was the very okay. first one to be interviewed. And that was in February. Well, I got a very uh, quick education on how slow churches move. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was in February. In, in May... Uh, I called 
Uh, Had you heard anything? So you're back in Boston? Back in Boston. Hadn't heard a thing. My my company that I was working for has now been purchased uh, by a large company from New York, and they've offered me a very good job to stay with, with this new company. And I'm like, I... I don't want that job. I want this job with the church. And so I'd call and they go, well, we're still moving. We're still working and we're still moving through this. So I, I had ended up accepting the, the job with the uh, other company. And naturally three weeks later, um, I get a call from, from Bethany to say, we want to offer you the job. I was so, I was so shocked. I was so stunned by the offer and that, this was going to be an opportunity now. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking like there's another interview or there's another phone call or like, no, that's amazing. Nothing. Amazing. I was so shocked. I, I didn't even ask what the job paid. <laughs> I, I, I didn't care. I, it didn't matter to me. This was, this was the most unbelievable thing. And we, so again, remember we had moved from Boston to Phoenix in 87 from Phoenix to Boston in 88 and then we moved back to Phoenix in 89 to take the job. And, and you not asking how much the money, you know, how much you were going to make actually was kind of a concern for them after yes, they yeah, gave you the job, yeah, right? Exactly. He had, well, after I got back there, he said, I got very nervous that you didn't even ask what you were going to get paid. <laughs> Here's my finance guy. That's, that's, <laughs> I, I said, Rich, I, it, you could have even paid me less than what you had offered, which was about $25,000 less than um, what I was making yeah. uh, in Boston. And um, we had just had our second child, so Kate wasn't working. And she's like, how is this going to work? I said, I, I don't even care. Hmm. Uh, we'll make it work. Wow. And uh, so we packed up again, sold our house. So within two years, we sold three houses, moved across country three times. Which is a trend that continued into the future. We won't get into that, but you've you've done that move a few different times. I've done that again. Yeah, I did. But uh, that was kind of your intro into ministry. Yes. And yes. Um, I'm curious what what were some of the things that that you learned pretty quickly that you went, oh wow, it's different yeah. in a church. Yeah, great. Than great in an organization. Yeah. Um, one of the very first meetings I had. No, I think it was the very first meeting I had with with the senior pastor at. Because uh, I had never met him, um, he sat me down and he said, um, "I understand that you've been in business for the last X number of years." And he said, "I, I want you to know that you have a different and additional responsibility um, than what you had when you were in business." Um, our our motto here at the church is bringing people to maturity in Christ, and he said, "That's your responsibility in dealing with vendors." in dealing with anybody on the business side, on dealing with the facility, that has always got to be the first uh, priority uh, in your mind, is representing Christ, if they're Christians, helping them into maturity. And and what that, that meant to me, um, I fancied myself as a, as a pretty good negotiator. <laughs> um, and one of the most successful tactics was deceit honestly mm. say oh i got a better price um even yeah. if i didn't necessarily have a better price uh and i was a christian um i think uh, <laughs> uh and uh that that changed everything mm. for me um that this approach is is and that's when i realized that this is really ministry 
Yeah. This is not, I'm not just the business administrator. I am a, a responsible uh, to represent Christ in the business aspects of the church. Mm. Um, so, that, so that really did change how I approached uh, the job uh, because there were a lot of issues. The guy who was there before me was not, he was, he was more of a, a facility guy than he was a finance guy. So there were a lot of things that needed to be fixed and, and changed. Um, but again, how I approach those things changed because yeah. of just that one meeting. Yeah. When eventually you did get opportunities to teach the Bible and had even more of a pastoral role in addition to the yeah. administrative role, not everyone in your kind of a role necessarily does that. Yeah. But I want to kind of focus in on the, the administrative part, because I think it is pretty interesting, um, especially as it relates to Redemption Church and, and kind of feeding off what you just said. I find that there's a little bit of a tension in the church world. On one hand, there's a kind of camp that says, well, we're just a church, which kind of is shorthand for we just need to be nice. Um, we don't need to have all the systems and structures and like we're a family and yeah. we're organic, not an organization. And so that's kind of one end of it. Yeah. The other end of it is like, hey, because we're the church, we need to steward this really, really well. We need to do everything with excellence, border, bordering on perfection mm-hmm. and... um how do you navigate that yeah. that tension? Yeah. Uh, so uh, the way I've approached it is that we are not a business, but we must do things in a business-like way, um, professionally and with excellence. Because, um, as we've always said at, at East Valley Bible Church, and you know, excellence honors God. Um, but the but having the the people part of it. Uh, be a priority yeah where in when i worked at, at the other company the priority was profit and now it was priority was people so i still had to maintain a a standard of excellence still needed to uh, do things in a way that reflected um, professionalism and uh, uh, but also caring for and and ministering to the people that i had the opportunity to work with and work for. So, yeah. yeah. So not cutthroat. Right. But um, but saying, hey, like, this, things have to be done well. And I would think, especially in an organization this size and this complex, you know, you can't just kind of show up and go, well, how do we just sort of be sweet to everybody yeah. today? Right. Yeah, right. that's that's interesting. So what are, the, what are the kind of the hallmarks of your philosophy, your approach to kind of running the operational and especially the financial side of the church? Yeah. A couple of things. Um, when it comes to uh, the the resources of the church, um, the return of the principle is more important than the return on the principle. Uh, in other words, we need to be safe. Um, okay. um, we we have been very blessed um, with reserves that um, because of the generosity of our church. Um, but to be very, very careful, very safe. Um, you're not playing the stock market correct? with all that correct. stuff. In yeah. fact, even when people give a stock exactly. gift, we, yes. we uh, do something that whenever I've told people, they're like, why would you do that? Yeah. And, um, which is that when we get a stock gift, we basically sell it right away, right? Immediately. Yeah. Yeah. So why do we do that? Well, because I don't want to speculate. Uh, um, you know, even if, uh, even if it goes down a little bit from the day that we receive it, um, I would still prefer to 
sell it immediately, know that we've established that as now cash and, and not speculate. Uh, yeah. I, I uh, feel very, very strongly that uh, a stewardship principle of protection of, of the assets of the church is, um, is the way that we, we need yeah. to go. So that'd be one kind of hallmark of your approach is just let's be kind of conservative with this. We're not gambling with people's money. Right. What else? Second thing would be um, that we pay our bills. Um, (laughs) And, you know, that's not always the case. It's Uh, so funny. I mean, just when you say that, we went through a building project, as you well know. You were very involved in the financial side of that. And the number of people that we had, the vendors and contractors who were, like, nervous – so they go, we usually get stiffed by churches. Correct. And you just go, what? Yeah. How is that? Yeah. And it, maybe it's in that like, well, hey, we're just a church mentality. Yeah. But like, holy smokes, churches like a lot of times don't pay their bills or at all or on time. Exactly. Um, so it was very important to me. Uh, and that, that went back to that whole philosophy of, of rep- representing Christ, leading people to Christ, helping them mature in Christ. Um, I didn't want them to look at the church as, you know, this organization that was looking for a handout. We would negotiate a price, we would establish that price, and we would f- meet the terms of, of that contract or that invoice. Um, that was very, very important to me. And part of it was because in both at Bethany and at the uh, uh, company that I'd worked at for 11 years before coming to Bethany, we struggled. Um financially. Uh, and it was oftentimes I, I could only pay the vendor that we needed the product from. And some vendors that we didn't necessarily need it right away, we let that go. And, mm. I, um, that was just really important to me not to, to do that. So, um, so pay your bills. That's pay a your good bills. one. What else? The third one is that we have a responsibility to care for our staff. Um, when I joined, uh, Bethany, uh, there was no retirement program in place. There was, um, the, the insurance benefits were marginal at best. And, and I thought we're a church. We're responsible to take care of our staff and to do it in a way that is, um, generous. Uh, so it, it became very important to me to find the best possible benefits, obviously at the best price. I mean, I'm, I'm I can't sacrifice the, the, the cost to, to such an extent, but to find the best possible benefits at the best possible price that was competitive in the marketplace um, and uh, really did care for our staff. Um, adding different programs, different benefits, um, that, w- that was, I thought, a, a worthwhile investment mm-hmm. on, on the part of the church. And, and I think we've seen the benefit of that. We, I mean, well, how many years have you been around? I think it will be officially... 18 or something like that yeah Uh, we've got a lot of people a lot of staff people who've been there 15 plus plus years and i I believe part of that is because um we've done our best to take care of them yeah yeah that's for sure so one question that comes up a lot in church finance is debt right some people go don't ever take on debt right right they've they've you know we do financial peace university a lot of our congregations right you get dave ramsey into going a church should never take debt Another approach is like, hey, let's leverage this. Let's maximize it for the sake of the kingdom. Interestingly, both tend to argue from faith. Exactly. You know, like That's right. if we just have faith, we'll have the cash to pay right. for it. Well, yeah. if we just have faith, then God will provide what we need after yeah. we borrow it. Yeah. Um, how do you approach that? 
again, I, I approach it in, in a business-like way. Um, there are times um, when it is best to use cash. Um, but we, we've established uh, kind of a floor uh, to say we believe, and, and this is the way I would advise families as well when I meet with, with couples and individuals regarding their own personal finances, you need to have three to six months of cash on hand at all times for emergencies. Well, I believe that's true for the church as well. I think we should manage our, our finances the way we expect our congregation to manage their homes. So when we God provides an opportunity for a capital investment like property or building or some type of construction, uh, we evaluate whether or not we'll pay cash, whether or not we'll uh, incur debt uh, based on our overall financial situation, based on the cash reserves that we have available. Um, so you do a lot like a household would. Absolutely. You'd go, don't borrow too much. Um, but the idea that you're just going to pay for everything in cash is just not always realistic it's or not, best. It's not best. I don't, I don't believe it's best. Um, just walking around this campus is to me is a, a perfect illustration of, uh, if we had to wait. Yeah. We're here at Redemption Church Gateway and yep. this is a building we built from scratch, built from the ground up. And, um, yeah, we would have never... It would literally never get built, or it would get built so small that you would just burn everybody out because you'd have to do right. ten services every weekend right. or something. Right, but we needed to, we needed debt in order to do that. So you have you weigh the, the the overall benefit, you weigh the cash position, you weigh the environment, the market, um, and I I also believe that having um, a, a manageable amount of debt is a uh, a very good uh, way to to develop uh, a, a discipline. Mm. Um, yeah, very similar to to, to a mortgage um, for for a family. Again, um, we we need to be responsible. I mean, we've had several loans throughout the years of of uh, East Valley Bible Church or Redemption Church, and we've paid off several of them. And as a result, we have a tremendous. Uh, reputation in the financial community in the valley. Uh, when we went to look for um, a loan for this project for here at Redemption Gateway, I had half a dozen banks that couldn't wait yeah. to. Uh, well, yeah, they go. You're you're handling things well. You're paying things on time. You're doing things with integrity. We'd like to work with you. Um, yeah, that's really great. Yeah. What are some of the things that have changed, right? You, you said you started in ministry in the 80s. Right. Um, what's changed as it relates to how people give, right? There's online giving, obviously. Yeah. Any other sort of trends that you feel like, you know, as I sort of have, have watched this over the last 30 plus years, here's here's what's different. Well, let me, let me answer by first saying here's what's the same. Um, people who trust Jesus give yeah um they don't have to be they don't have to be pushed they don't have to be guilted yeah they understand that they've received much from him and therefore they need to give yeah it's funny that's actually a question we get at almost every kind of start here getting mm -hmm. you know introduction to the church class and i think this is true at all the congregations is like i've never been to a church before where they don't take an offering yeah how do you how do you guys do this? Yeah. Um, it really shocks people. Um, and we wouldn't say that there's like a biblical, like thou shall not take an offering. You know, <laughs> right. that's just how we at Redemption have chosen to do it. Yeah. 
Um, who knows? Maybe we would change that someday. Uh, there could be good reasons to do it. Absolutely. But so far we don't, and yet God continues to provide because faithful people give. Yeah, yeah. So so that hasn't changed. That hasn't changed. That's a good reminder. What has changed, obviously, is the uh, options for for people to give. I yeah. mean, basically, when I started, it was a, a check or cash in the offering box uh, as we passed the plate. You didn't give the credit card with the <laughs> shunk, shunk, like you could... Uh, you know, do that. You know, we had that, but very, very, very few people sure. um, use that. And uh, as we've gone along, um, the idea of of recurring or scheduled giving yeah. through um, your credit card or or your bank um, has produced a more level income stream for the church. Mm, it, it, used, it used to be we could absolutely be assured that the summertime we would not have. Uh, as much in the offering as we would in the spring and yeah, because if you're not there, you can't. You're give. not giving, yeah. right? Well, think about the last year with the pandemic, and if there wasn't online recurring giving, yeah. oh my goodness! Yeah. I mean, and we know some churches that that's that, right that that's that right. either wasn't set up or the people yeah. in the community, the people in the church didn't really trust it, right? That right. have really taken some hard hits, hard, yeah, and and we we barely. Uh, yeah. because again, the generosity of our people, what, what percentage of uh, roughly of redemption, you know, all 10 congregations, it varies a little bit, sure. but on average, what percentage of people are giving online now? Yeah. It's up to about 65%. Okay. So more than half of the church gives half. online a yeah. lot of that through credit card. Most I think, I think this is pretty fascinating. This is a, a big detail, but what, do, what does the church pay every year for credit card processing? Last year it was just under one hundred ninety thousand dollars. I like how you went. <laughs> you like had to <laughs> yeah. clear your throat yeah, before yeah, you yeah. said that. Yeah. So one hundred ninety thousand dollars that right. we just have as part of our central operations budget. Correct. That is to pay for the two point four percent or whatever yes. of. Yeah. You know, if I give a hundred dollars, you know, two dollars and forty cents of it is you know going to need yep. to be yep. you know all the different ways yes. that that happens and yep. you know PayPal and all the different people that. You know, okay. need a little bit of a slice of that. That's so right. when when I hear that number the first time, I go, "What? Like, holy smokes, that is crazy! Why would we do that?" And yet, you feel like it's worth it. Yeah, the return on the investment is uh, is substantial. So to two and a half percent to have that flattened curve of mm. um, income. You mean the st- that steady stream steady you're talking stream. about? Yeah, yeah, having that be. Yep. More consistent, yeah. more predictable. Yeah, and and I, I honestly, for me personally, uh, I didn't take advantage of that for a long time. I felt like you need to have the discipline to write that check every every week. Well, I'd forget sometimes, <laughs> yeah. or we'd be away, and I'm like, what's wrong with you? Yeah, just set it up, let it happen, and um, you know. Yeah, I remember they, wrestling with that too because I had that same kind of thing of like. Yeah the real worshipful thing to do would be to physically write the thing and yeah. put it in the thing. But it's like the real worshipful thing would be to actually give it. <laughs> you know, like which is better, the money that you worshipfully don't give or the money you sort of semi absent-mindedly keep giving. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously you don't want to be absent-minded no, about it. You no, want it to no. be intentional. Yeah. But and, um and, but and that it, automated giving is is another way to talk about it is just automated faithfulness. Right consistent faithfulness right and and i think that most people that that um i mean we're we're so used to now paying most of our bills uh, sure. i mean how many checks do you write now uh, um 
and believe me, we're happy to take checks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cash is good too. Yeah. Uh, but we want to provide the the most convenient and effective way for people to respond to God's goodness. Yeah. Um, and and we really feel like that it's worth the two two and a half percent to, yeah. to have that opportunity. One of the things that I'm concerned about for for the future, not just of Redemption Church, but the church as a whole, is just. Um, it feels like there there was a generation um, that just you gave to your church. Yeah, that's what you did. Yeah, and um, I wonder uh, in my generation and generations that follow, I don't. I'm not quite sure we can quite take that for granted. How do you think about that as you sort of prepare us for the future? Yeah. Well, I I think I w- I was glad to hear you say that even the idea of not receiving an offering on a Sunday that might change. Um, I think the most important thing we can do is to teach, mm-hmm. um, is, to, is to teach the concept of, of biblical stewardship, which includes giving. Yeah. Um, and as I, I, in my generation, it was just assumed that you knew that. Well, as you said, I don't think that's the case today. So it's our responsibility just like to, to teach husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. We need to teach families that part of their responsibility as followers of Christ is to give to where they're being blessed and taught and that is the church and I think they'll respond I'm I'm convinced people will respond it's it's on us yeah. to make sure we we teach them yeah it is interesting the discipleship side of that I mean Jesus talks so much about money mm-hmm. so I want to I want to um, kind of land the conversation talking about some of the dynamics of being a multi-congregational church so um, I don't know if everyone listening would kind of know the history but Redemption Church started 10 years ago, um, really through the merger of initially two congregations, two churches, uh, Praxis and East Valley Bible Church. You'd been part of East Valley Bible Church. It's the oldest uh, in terms of been around the longest of, right. of those churches. Uh, a number of months after that, we joined in. We were Second Mile Church. And so looking back now, it feels like it was a merger of three, but at the time it was just two. Um, and then since then, we've started a number of congregations. And so when this thing started, originally it was three to four congregations. Now it's 10. Um, and so we get a lot of calls from people right. and you get a lot of calls from people right. that go, Hey, we're thinking about doing a multi-congregational thing. We've heard about what you guys do. Um, you know, w- what are some of the, what are some of the things that people usually want to know? Yeah. Well, first thing I try to explain is my goal as we established redemption and looked at the possibility of, expanding into many congregations throughout the state was to keep things simple, um, to be as uncomplicated as we could possibly be, which meant that we were going to be one entity, one corporation. Uh, so we're not 10 churches. Correct. We're one church, one church, 10 congregations. Correct. So we have one checking account. We have uh, one tax ID number. Everything is, uh, set up to be handled through the central operations pay, payroll and, uh, and, and human resources out of, out of the same bucket. Now, we've created uh, a system that allows us to make sure, and this is one of the things that, that's asked quite frequently, is, well, how much responsibility do the congregations have? And, and in our model, they have a great deal of responsibility. Uh, the congregations set their own budget, um, the congregations manage their own budget. The congregations are responsible to pay 
their own bills. Um, so it, it's, it's a, a, a very centralized model when it comes to the financial administrative operations, but yet it's, it's, it feels like it's dispersed. It feels like it's, it's 10 separate churches. Uh, and that's what, that's really what I wanted. I wanted it to be able to be, um, felt and, and operated as independent churches with the benefit of the ability to have the kind of structure that uh, this large organization gives. Yeah. I feel like as a lead pastor of a congregation, I, I kind of like the pressure of saying, Hey, you kind of need to pull your weight here. Like, um, there's support. If something bad happens, there's opportunities to, you know, benefit from the whole, if that has to take place. But, you know, on the whole, like you, you, you got to set your budget. You yep. got to be able to you know, do this. I also think it's nice for people, right? Like if I'm at Redemption Tucson and I'm just attending the church, um, you know, and I give, I, I really would like a lot of that money to go to Redemption Tucson. That's my local congregation. And really that is how it's structured That's is correct. essentially there's some outward focus money that yes. goes out that everybody's giving to. There's also some central operations costs um, that everybody's benefiting from. So in a sense, if I'm at Redemption Tucson and, some portion of what I give is given to the central operations. That's still helping Tucson. And then everything else would go toward the operating budget of Redemption Tucson. Correct. Uh, for example. Correct. So, yep. so um, talk a little bit about the, what are the things that a, that a congregation, um, what are things that cost more because we do it this way? What are the things that cost less? Right. The, I would think you go, okay, there's probably some economies of scale. Yes. And yet there's probably also some complications. Yeah. So let me start with the benefits. Um, what you mentioned, Redemption Tucson, which is one of our smaller congrega- congregations, uh, the, the lead pastor at Redemption Tucson gets access to the exact same benefits that you as pastor, lead pastor of Redemption Gateway, a congregation probably six or seven times greater. So that, in that size. In size. We're not no. greater. Well, true. Yeah. Uh, in size. <laughs> um, but we're bigger. Yeah, I guess. Um, so, if it was, they have two. They have two employees. Um, they wouldn't even have access to health insurance under that. Yeah, you know. that's and, true. And now they have uh, access to a, a very sophisticated uh, portfolio of benefits uh, at a very reasonable price <coughs> that they couldn't have if if they were independent. Uh, yeah, you were even, uh, you and I both at different points recently have been down there with their elders looking at property, right? Right. There's opportunities there that wouldn't exist if they were just on their own. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, and and that, that was going to be the, the second thing is really um, we have the capacity to help um, kind of fund the initial startup of an opportunity like a Redemption Tucson to to possibly even purchase a facility, yeah. Uh, because of the the strength and the financial wherewithal that that Redemption Arizona has. Yeah, I have I have so many church planter friends who are you know now eight ten years into having planted a church, but they were it was independent, it was on its own, and they don't have any assets, they don't have any resources, they can't really get a loan, Correct. they can't really Correct. you know unless just some super duper mega giver showed up and dropped a bunch of money, their opportunity to, to have a building is almost non-existent. Um, and usually they can't grow the church to the size that they would need to be able to 
raise enough money because they're limited by their size. I mean, yeah. so yeah. I think the, especially what it means for our church plants to be able to develop yeah. um, sustainability faster is just really significant. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the additional cost uh, I think is, is not so much financial as it is, um, and not even relational, but just structurally, um, if it was Redemption Tucson on their own, they could they could they could shift and move and sure. and do things a little bit more, uh, a little more agility with more agility, right? Uh, where where they're part of the whole, and therefore there is a process of of leadership, of communication, of um, you know recognition that you're you're part of a family that's bigger. Um, so it, I, I think it slows things down some. Um, I think there's some some speed and and agility costs that that are there um but i i don't think honestly financially um with the economy of scale with the opportunity to provide as many uh benefits and options as as we have i i am probably blind to do it because i um in favor of it <laughs> um but i i don't see I, I guess i would ask you really more to say is what what have you seen that is is more costly um, then, um, then you, if, if you were able to do this on your own. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. So, um, we've kind of run the gamut of it. So when we, when we joined in redemption, um, it was, I mean, it was almost all like, wow, we're getting so much more than what we're technically like paying into central ops. Um, you know, we had kind of access to this whole staff of people who were, um, who are doing that as we've grown mm -hmm. and therefore our percentage that we give into central ops has grown. Um, and certain things have kind of restructured. Like we now have kind of our own facilities people right, here right. versus at one point we'd had a shared facilities thing. Um, like I look at what we pay into it and at a dollar level, I could probably hire the staff to just do that for gateway um, for a comparable or maybe slightly less amount. I'm not actually sure I could. <laughs> you, you, I can see this look in your eye, like, going, no, no. no, you can't. No, 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 um, I'm not at all. I think you probably could. Yeah, um, but you, you I, just it definitely wouldn't. You just be. wouldn't have me. Well, I know, and you wouldn't be nearly as experienced, or nearly, you know, all, all of those other things. So there's a, a sense in which, like, I suppose that, like, a literal, could you do the same amount for less? In a congregation our size, we probably could. Yeah. But I think there's so much more that we can do because we're together. Right, the opportunity to to help a redemption Tucson, um, the opportunity to have a, you know a, a church get planted and have that church have the kind of support that comes from you as well as uh, lots of other things. To me, it's just totally worth it. Yeah. You know, it's a yeah. it's a cost, but it's kind of a missions cost that's that's worth it. Um, and and not just for kind of what they get, but I feel like what we get. Mm -hmm. Right, there's things that we get from being connected to congregations that are on the front edge of getting started that are planting in different communities that are, you know, there's just a lot, there's yeah. a lot there. Um, so we have a couple of categories we talk about related to this. So we talk about internally, we talk about supporting congregations yes. and sustained congregations and supported. Yes. So talk about those categories. Yeah. So we, we developed a, a, a timeline uh, for a new uh, plant, uh, new congregation that would be basically a, a seven-year uh, program, where in the in the very first three years, uh, they would be called what's uh, what we call a supported congregation, meaning that 
part of our overall redemption outward focus budget would go towards helping them get established. And it would be a decreasing amount. So first year would be the most, second, then third. Then in year four, they would become what we call a sustained congregation, meaning they don't receive any further support from redemption, but they also don't pay in yet to central operations. Then they start to become a supporting congregation where, again, they ramp up rather than ramp down their contribution to the overall central operations. So that at the end of that seven-year period, they should be a fully supporting uh, congregation. Now, we do desire to have opportunities to plant churches in communities that may not ever be able to become supporting. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's good for for a congregation. To, I mean, it's just good for the congregation, not yeah. just the kind of the business side of things, but it's good for a congregation to be self-supporting yes. and self-sufficient yep. and to be able to then give to others. Some places that takes longer. Yep. And as you said, some places that just might not happen uh, for a long time, if right. ever. And um, man, if we only start churches and congregations in... Uh, well-off communities, you know, that that's not a great thing for the kingdom. Right. Um, somebody said that there's no God-forsaken communities, just church-forsaken. And so, uh, like you said, we're, we are committed to having congregations be in some of the more underserved communities. Right. Right, um, right now, as, as it stands, so here we are in the spring of 2021, how many of our congregations are supporting? How many are supported? That sort of thing. Right. We have eight supporting congregations and two supported congregations, which is four to one. Okay. Uh, our goal is to get to three to one. Um, so we would hopefully continue to find uh, opportunities f- uh, in those underserved areas so that we could um, increase that. But, um, but we also have situations, which we currently have right now, where a supporting congregation as a result of a certain activity or issue that occurred that for the time being, needs to become a sustained congregation. Um, And because, again, of our, I think, our conservative uh, financial approach and making sure that we have plenty of reserves on hand, we've been able to take care of uh, our central operations costs, even though those congregations for right now are not contributing. Yeah, so a couple of congregations just took big hits last year. Right. And uh, we've said, hey, for this year, let's not pay into central ops. Let's just kind of... Let, let's be better together yep. and love one another through that. So Called it a year of jubilee. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, what is something that would surprise someone about the way we do this multi-congregational thing? Well, I, I think the, um, as I talk to churches all across the country, uh, one of the biggest surprises is the, the low cost overall yeah. of central operations. I mean, very, very surprised at our ability to uh, provide the kind of benefits and uh, support that we do at the at the level that we do it. Yeah, many multi-site churches, you know, it can be as much as 30, 40, 50% yeah. of what a local campus would receive is going to go into a central operations. We're right. far less than that. Right. Um, and that number changes over yeah. time at different points. But, but we really have tried to say we want as much of those resources, you know, being uh, deployed by the local congregations. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the, the second thing is, is the amount of uh, responsibility and authority that is uh, pushed down to the congregations. Mm. Uh, I think most people that we talk to expect that, that we develop at 
maybe at the mothership or, or at some place, we develop the student ministries uh, activities and we send those out. Or, uh, and, and of course, that's not true. We want the individual congregations to have as much uh, latitude and authority to do their ministry within a, a yeah. very defined sandbox. But um, so that I, uh, to me, those are the two things that really seem to be uh, surprising that, wow, that's quite a value. And yet, there's still quite a, a, a authority yeah. and responsibility that's that's available to the congregations. Well, Neil, you're a huge gift to redemption, and I uh, I appreciate you just giving us so much time. And I think for people who kind of wonder about the inner workings, and um, you know, some of it is you're curious how it goes, and and some of it is you just want to know like, well, who's who's running it, <laughs> who's who's doing that stuff. And um, I think just for people to hear your story and kind of hear your approach is a really helpful way to just for everybody to go like, Oh, okay. I, I feel good about this. And I'm thankful for just the, your leadership in it. And, um, you know, what you, what you learned pretty early on as a, you know, coming into ministry of going like, this is about the people um, you've led that way. You continue to lead that way. And, um, it's a gift to all of us. So thanks. I appreciate thanks brother. My pleasure. Well, that's it for inside redemption. Uh, thanks for joining us.